What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's up, guys? This is Mike. Welcome to episode 41, the Dirk episode of the Mike and Dave Podcast. Uh, we uh, apologize for the delay last week. We were out due to illness. Uh, hopefully you catch that like fantasy football-esque reference there. But hey, we're back. Uh, better than ever question mark uh to be determined but we've got decent episode lined up for you we're gonna you know set those expectations so dave what do you got to say well i'll go ahead and say it was me who was sick last (laughs) week so it was dave was out with an illness and i'm still like let's say like i'm 90 to 95 percent back so that's plenty enough to be able to put out this podcast this week so Again, apologies for the delay, but we're back now, so um, there you go. Um, So it's my turn to do the the off-the-top prompt for this week. And so if y'all have been paying attention to the news, especially in the NFL, you would have seen that Jeff Saturday has been named the new Colts head coach after Frank Reich was fired, despite him never having any college or professional coaching experience. So this has definitely been a controversial move um, and one that people are very interested in because you don't really see a lot of unconventional hires like this in the NFL. So with all that in mind, Mike, let's say the Falcons, Arthur Smith wasn't doing it. If you had to pick one former Falcons player to coach the Falcons in a very like similar situation like Jeff Saturday, who would you choose and why? Oh man. <laughs> um, Oh wait. Alex Mack is retired, right? <laughs> yep. He retired. There you go. Okay. Uh, Just follow the same I, center trend. Yeah. Like, I mean, Centers are smart, man. Like they have to, they know the offense. They're the leader of that offensive line. We talk all the time on this podcast about the importance of the, of the front line. They're establishing uh, that physicality up front. And Alex Mack is a smart player. Like I'm pretty sure we talked about him in our, in our um, all time fantasy draft. Uh, I think you had picked him for your center. Um, I don't think I no, did, but still no, he's up. We gave him an honorable mention. Yeah. Right. Um, Anyway, uh, Alex Mack was always a high IQ player. He didn't really get to win a ring because he spent mo- a lot of his career in Cleveland. Sorry. But all of his time in Atlanta, he was incredibly consistent. Uh, he knows like that element of the field. He knows like what it takes to be successful in an area where the Falcons have long struggled. So I imagine like his focus would be there first. He could coach our offensive line primarily, but also develop that sense of physicality, that sense of awareness that our team has been uh, lacking. So Alex Mack is going to be my answer, actually. That's a very good one. Um, That's not one that I thought of when I was thinking about this. I was just like, I wonder who he's going to pick if it's like out of left field. I mean, for me, one that I thought of was work done because he's just such a good guy. Um, and, you know, Florida State slash Falcons player, you already know I'm a fan. Um, 
but I'm just kind of surprised he didn't go with Michael Vick, to be honest. That's I mean, a, that's a joke. That's a joke. Nah, I uh, no. Um, now, I can I sway Coach Prime away from Jackson State? <laughs> well, that wouldn't he wouldn't fit in the requirements of no collegiate or professional coaching experience. Uh, yeah, that's fair. But I mean. I don't really know of any other former Falcons who actually do have that experience other than him. So, I mean, that's not a bad shout either. Um, he has he has that team rolling and apparently stealing our top recruits from Florida State. So that's fine. Um, still not over that. But anyways, well, Alex Mack, I think that's a very good answer. And that wraps up. Uh, this actually short segment of Off the Top. When we come back, we're going to be breaking down the college football playoff rankings that just came out and our, our reactions to those. So stick around. All right, and we're back, and it's time to talk about the college football rankings as they stand now. They came out uh, just yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday the 9th. So obviously we've got four major teams left that are still undefeated. UGA, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, who take the top four rankings in that order. Um, but I think that's that's fair enough, right? But Dave, I want to ask you first: Is there what uh, what stood out to you about the rankings this week? It's got to be that Florida State came in at number twenty three in the rankings. <laughs> Let's go! So you're saying there's a chance, baby? All right, we're back. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but it was nice to see that Florida State was actually ranked after the absolute beatdown of Miami last Saturday. Freaking, I think it was like 45 to three or something. It was absolute <laughs> ass kicking. And you know what? There are a few things that I love to see more than Florida State kicking that Miami hiney. All right. So that was the number of thing that number one thing that stood out to me. Number two. Alabama is at number nine. I I can't remember um, all of the rankings that have ever come out since the college football playoff first started. I don't remember Alabama ever being that low, though. And that's just a testament to the fact that Bryce Young is amazing, and the rest of that team is below the standard that we have been accustomed to seeing from Alabama in the past several years. I mean, the past, like, recent memory, to be honest with you. Offensive line, not nearly as good. Uh, the receivers, not nearly as good. The defense, they don't have nearly as many impact players as they've had in the past. And penalties have really hurt them. It just hasn't really looked like the Alabama that we're used to seeing. And now, they're on the outside looking up, and they're they're playoff hopes are pretty much toast at this point. So that's got to be a, one of the top things for me is Alabama's probably not going to be in it this year. And you know what? I'm all for it. I'm all for new teams coming in and having a chance to um, to have a, have a chance to, to win the whole thing and play for a national championship. So that, that's got to be one of the things that stands out to me. I mean, it's, it's got to be the lowest that we've seen them. I mean, when does when does Alabama ever lose two games in the regular season? <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, they're not, like, the door's not shut. I mean, you know, uh, a lot of these teams ahead of them could lose another game, but their future is not in their own hands anymore. And this is very unfamiliar territory for Nick Saban. But, I mean, you're right. Like, it's so weird because we always talk about all the, the talent top to bottom on that roster. And right now it's just not happening. And you mentioned the penalties. This is literally Nick Saban's most penalized team that like he's ever had by far. They're like in the bottom, like 20 in the, in the country in penalties. That's unheard of for a Nick Saban team. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course we talked about this after the Tennessee game, but you know, kicking struggles uh, still persist. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, I will say one other thing too that I noticed the ACC, which I have been very vocal about uh, dissing in recent years. They're in really bad shape for this. They basically have no chance of, uh, of getting a team in Clemson. There is still a potential for them to sneak into it. If they went out, win the ACC championship and there's just absolute carnage above them. But right now they're ranked 10th and their loss at Notre Dame last week was just devastating to their chances and they haven't, they haven't really had any great wins. I mean, Syracuse and Wake Forest are their like statement wins and those teams, I don't even think that they're ranked anymore or Syracuse might be, but like barely. So, um, so yeah, the ACC, they're struggling hard right now. And you know what the SEC, as much as I don't like to say it, they're still like, they're still up there. I mean, You've got Georgia, Tennessee, LSU, and, and Alabama all in the top 10. That's the most teams of any conference in the top 10. So the SEC still proves to to be one of the, you know, not one of the, the premier conference in college football. But you have to give a shout out to Big Ten, though. Ohio State, Michigan, it's going to come down to that one game. How many times have you talked about that, Mike? Like, it really is going to come down to it, and I don't know if, Either of these teams can, you know, we'll see if they, there is potential, I guess, if it's a close game for one of them to still sneak in. But right now, I think Tennessee, if they end up winning out, they've got to be the the team that maybe sneaks in ahead of them. It's hard to say. I mean, how many times have I talked about it? Literally every time we talk about college <laughs> football, man. <laughs> I think that's what Basically, I talk about. Yeah. And, and I'm sure even though you just said it, I'll talk about it again in a second. But... Yeah, Clemson, I was I'm not gonna say I predicted against Notre Dame, but like I've been sitting around waiting them waiting for them to lose all season. Uh the thing about Clemson has just been like yeah, they're highly ranked, but they don't look like it. Like these weird little uh formations and plays that they've been running, like it's been so predictable it would not work against a, a good opponent. I've I've been like Play Michigan, play Tennessee, play Ohio State, play Georgia, play Alabama. This this stuff's not gonna fly, and it all it took was Notre Dame to to show that <laughs> they didn't even have to get there, which is cool. Save us some time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Big Ten, you got Ohio State, Michigan, like you said. We also have Penn State at fourteen, whose only two losses are to Ohio State and Michigan. So you know, they uh, realistically could be a lot higher with an easier schedule. Uh, but yeah, the Big Ten, or sorry, the SEC is the conference to top. Uh, carried a bit by Georgia. Georgia's the main like scary team out there. Good Lord. Um, 
like as a Michigan fan, I'm like, even if we do beat Ohio State, man, I don't want to face Georgia again. <laughs> like, I watched them dismantle Tennessee <laughs> convincingly. Uh, I would bet on Michigan against Tennessee. Uh, probably not against Georgia. Holy cow. Um, also, shout out Tulane, man. <laughs> like, have y'all have yourselves a good season. I see you uh, ranked 17th down there. Uh, yeah interesting yeah interestingly enough right now um if that 12 team like the 12 team playoff was in place for this season i know it's not coming until a couple years from now tulane would actually be playing in that playoff because of the the rules there so they would actually be playing michigan in the first, you know, the first round games, which is very interesting. So, you know, like you said, shout out to Tulane and also like the Pac-12, they've got three one loss teams in the Pac-12. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up sneaking their way in. I mean, you've got Oregon, who other than laying an egg against Georgia in the <laughs> the first game, um, literally because they're ducks and that's something that they do. I'm smart. All right. I'm back. I'm definitely, I'm, you know what? I'm not even 90 to 95% back. I'm a hundred percent back after that one. Um, back with the punnery. Yes, exactly. You know how we do it on this show. Um, yeah, like I said, Oregon, they laid a duck in that first game since, since then they laid a duck back to 99%. Okay. I, I got ahead of myself guys. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. Um, anyways, Oregon, they were trash against Georgia in the first game. Since then, they've been playing really well. Bo Nix, I know we were, uh, <laughs> you especially were calling him trash after that first game, which he was trash. Um, he has been playing extremely well as of late. He's been able to up his draft stock and really lead that team both in the air, on the ground. He's kind of shown exactly why um, he, he made that move to Oregon and you know what? Got to give him credit. And then you also have uh, USC. Caleb Williams has been amazing for them at quarterback. I, I think he's only thrown one interception, one or two interceptions all season. He's been crazy. And then you also have UCLA too, who's down there at number 12. Like all of these teams have the potential to potentially sneak into that, um, that top four, depending on other results elsewhere. So yeah, the Pac-12 is showing that, even though USC and UCLA are are leaving, like at least for now, they're showing that they they do deserve to be in that Power Five conference rankings. So, of course, we'll see how they fare against some of these other thoroughbred teams when you get into these big bowl games or in the college football playoff games. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the you know twelve team format and how Tulane would be in it. I can't wait for that. I'm so sick of this four team. Talk about that all the time, but I'm so sick of this four-team college playoff. It's so stupid. But um, with the Michigan Ohio State game kind of around the corner, I will say this: uh, uh, Ohio State against Northwestern. They were playing in horrendous conditions, and Ohio State is not built to handle that. They are one of the best, if not the best passing offenses in college football 
they are not uh, as good as I expected them to be on the ground. Uh, you would, I mean, I'm not saying like Michigan's going to beat up Ohio State or anything, but like what I am saying is, and this is just a comment on how Michigan and Ohio State are built differently. If Michigan had played Northwestern in those conditions, I would have felt that Michigan would have done a lot better. It it would have been, you know, simple, hand the ball off to Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. We're running, uh, we're playing physical at the front line. Hey, we don't have to worry about pass defense where our corners, who are fairly good, keep getting mossed on because they're small. Literally any any team that we play with a receiver over 6-2 is just mossing our guys down the field every every uh, game. And I know that Ohio State has Marvin Harrison Jr. Not looking forward to it at all. I'm praying for bad weather. Uh, but if bad weather comes against Ohio State, I'm feeling good, man. Uh, the, the way I think we can look at the Ohio State versus Michigan thing, since it will be such a big... Um, like a, a big focal point going into who makes the playoffs and who doesn't aside from the weather. It's just like Michigan seems to be the high floor team there. And Ohio state seems to be the high ceiling there. I think Ohio state has the capacity to be more deadly, but we are, we know what we're going to get from Michigan um, and Ohio state. It's like, which version of that are we getting? Are we getting the team that, that struggles for the first three quarters and then explodes at the end? Are we getting a team that can't pass through the weather? Are we getting a team that lights it up for all four quarters? Michigan's going to run the ball and play physical up front and let in some big plays in, in the air on defense and probably not want to win the game in the air on offense. Like, But that showdown's coming, and we've got it circled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Michigan's got to just try to control the clock in that game, utilize that that run game, keep the ball out of CJ Stroud's hands. Um, the, I think that the one issue is that Michigan's got to come out with a lead in that game because I, they're not built to come back, especially in against an offense like Ohio state, where we've seen Ohio state is able to put up points in a hurry um, behind the arm of CJ Stroud and those receivers. So especially, especially if uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is able to come back healthy, like that's, that's scary. So I think Michigan's got to be able to control the clock, play good defense, put pressure on CJ Stroud and get out to a lead. Otherwise it might be, might be tough for him, but that's definitely looking like the biggest game left, especially the biggest regular season game left on the schedule of any team in college football. So definitely looking forward to that one. And I will say on the topic of the run game as well, like Blake Corum, he's on that Heisman watch list and in the last game, they did put up a graphic comparing Blake Corum's season thus far to the past few running backs that had won the Heisman, uh, Derrick Henry, Reggie Bush, and the like. And at this point in the season, he's passed all of them in yards and touchdowns. So, like, historically speaking, he's on pace to win the Heisman. Uh, we know how hard it is for a non-quarterback to get the award. Um I mean, we had like Devonte Smith and everything, but do I think he's going to win it? Eh, it's tough, you know. Probably not. But if history has anything to say about running backs winning it, it's certainly possible. It, but he he needs to show up against Ohio State. You you even if we lose, like he can win it if he shows out against Ohio State. But he cannot go in there and 
get like 14 carries, 60 yards or something. I wouldn't even, to be honest, I wouldn't even say that if Michigan loses to Ohio State, he could win it. I think because they do place a pretty big emphasis on team success as well with the Heisman, whether or not you think that's fair or not. Um, I think Michigan's got to be going in as one of the top couple of seeds and Corum has to have his major Heisman moment in that Ohio State game to lead them to victory if that's going to happen because there are just there are too many other solid quarterbacks out there who are in the running for the award. Um, one other note that I want to make real quick, uh, TCU, Tennessee, and USC, uh, they're all ranked in the top 10 of this latest, the latest rankings. And none of those teams have ever made an appearance in the college football playoff. I would love to see one of these teams make it and have a first time entrant into the playoff. Um, I know it's going to change like we've talked about before, but it would just be nice to have some fresh blood to be fair. Oregon hasn't made it since 2015 when they lost to Ohio state in the national championship game. So that's crazy. That was seven years ago Yeah, that Marcus Mariota and Oregon dominated Jameis Winston, and Florida state in the semifinals of that, um, which it's not ideal, but, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so I, I would love to see one of those teams, um, be able to make it. And there's definitely a chance. Also one team that we haven't really mentioned is LSU. They're seven and two, but, they, they've got a chance, you know, they obviously beating Alabama the way they did going for two. I know I've also said some negative things about Brian Kelly. I don't think that he's like, he's not my favorite guy, but you got to give him credit, especially after Florida state beat him, which what an amazing win that's looking like right now. Um, he's really been able to turn that team around and they're playing really, really well. Um, so they're, they're a team to watch. They might be able to sneak in depending on how other results go. If they're able to win the SEC championship, we could see LSU in it too. And that's after looking like they had no chance after losing to Florida State in the opening game. Yeah. Uh, the issue with LSU is like Tennessee handled them pretty convincingly. So it's like you beat Alabama, but you lose to this Tennessee team that is ranked higher than you. So like, they do have to show out. I'm, TCU, three very winnable games left on their schedule. That Texas game could be tough, but I, I see no reason that they can't win out. We very well may see their first-time entrance. And, of course, just a couple years ago, they got slighted. Uh, probably should have made the playoffs. I think it was two years ago, maybe three years ago, where they were like ranked fifth and didn't make it. But I could definitely see TCU making it this year. So there is hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's almost like the, the committee was reluctant to put them in the top four, uh, but they had to because they were the fourth undefeated team because TCU yeah. hasn't looked like super convincing in a lot of their victories. So it makes sense, but also like wins are wins, you know, um, I will say in LSU's defense, they did also beat Ole Miss who's ranked number 11 so they've beat the ninth and the eleventh best teams, and they've lost to Tennessee, and then also Florida State, who, to be fair, is also ranked. So, and so they've got the the tiebreaker over Ole Miss in the SEC West, 
And so, and looking at the remaining schedule, I mean, we thought that potentially uh, Texas A&M LSU would be a big game at the end of the season to start with. Texas A&M has just completely fallen apart under Jimbo. So that's, ah. I know, ha. Um, so that's not really looking like an issue. I mean, they've got Arkansas, UAB, and Texas A&M. They should be able to win all those games. And if they do, then that brings them to a showdown in the SEC championship game, theoretically against UGA, potentially against Tennessee. Um, but yeah, so if LSU wins that game, then they have to get in. There's almost no question um, if they're able to to win that one. So there's still a lot to play for. Only three regular season games left, um, including rivalry weekend. So college football, it's a gift that keeps on giving and looking forward to the rest of uh, the regular season, and then of course into the championship games and the playoff. So, um, and and, and uh, sorry, I was just going to point out one last game to keep in mind for this coming weekend: number nine Alabama and number eleven Ole Miss. Since you mentioned them in connection with LSU, uh, imagine Ole Miss beating Alabama this week. That that really shakes up the SEC there. And heck, if Alabama wins, like good for them. They they might push themselves back into it just a wee bit. So a little bit of implication in that game as well. But it, it just that again, that just shows how different the 12 team playoff is going to make it versus the four teams. Like if it was a 12 team, we'd say, Oh, Alabama, like that game against Ole Miss, they're basically fighting for their place. Even in the 12 team playoff to begin with at that point. So, um, yeah, it, it'll definitely change in a couple of years when that comes into play. But for now you got to play within the rules and it would take a lot for Alabama to, to make it, but it's, it's, it's possible, but it's, it's not probable, but it is possible as we love to say. So I think that wraps up this segment on our college football, re- uh, rankings reaction. Um, like I said, we've got a few more, um, games to go so we're looking forward to those and when we come back we're going to break down the nfl trade deadline in what was probably the biggest nfl trade deadline ever so uh hope you're looking forward to that all right so we're a, a little bit behind in uh covering this but still wanted to talk about it the nfl trade deadline was at this point a couple weeks ago and i've got to say it's it has to be the most exciting one that I've seen um, ever really at the NFL. Typically, we see uh, a lot of trades happen in baseball, in basketball, but never really anything in the NFL. And this deadline was different. And I'm all for it. I love the trade deadline um, drafts. Basically, tra- just sports transactions. Just there's just something about it that just gets me going. So I was very um, happy to see a lot more um, action happening this year. Mike, what's the number one trade that stood out to you from this eventful trade deadline? Uh, Number one, huh? Um, You and I are going to be on opposite sides of this because you're going to be benefiting and I'm not. But 
TJ Hawkinson going from Lions to Vikings. That stood out to me. First of all, it's not that often that we see like important players move to division rivals in the NFL. NBA, they don't really care that much about that, so to like relatively speaking. But NFL, it's usually like a hard pass, but here we go. Also, I mean, like, if you're the Lions, you're rebuilding, and I mean, you don't want to pay Hawkinson when he goes for his extension that's probably going to cost like $13, 14 $15 million a year. But he's one of the five, six-ish best tight ends in the NFL, give or take. He's really young. You know, uh, he's drafted in 2019. This is a guy that they drafted eighth overall. And the return on him is highlighted by a second round pick. So this feels like an L. Uh, I mean, I don't know how else to slice it. I mean, when it's the Lions, it's like, even if you had won the trade, you're not going to do anything. You're trash. So like, how mad can I really be? But like, uh, that one stings. But if you're the Vikings, who are leading the NFC North and need to in- increase production at the tight end spot because Irv Smith's out, and you let you, I mean, it's not like stealing someone from the Lions really means that much. The Lions are one and six with Hawkinson, uh, but you uh, you get better within your division while a rival gets worse. You address one of your biggest needs. Uh, you add a great playmaker to Kirk Cousins, take some defensive energy or attention away from Justin Jefferson. Like, the Vikings just got even more complete, and they're already in great shape on the season. Like, huge move. Big L for the Lions. Big W for the Vikings. And, like, I think the Lions got a second and a third, but also gave up a fourth and, I think, a sixth. It was something like that. Um, so like, even if you're the Vikings, like, yeah, you get, give up those two picks, but you're getting another decent pick back too. Like good for y'all, man. Bad for the lions, but I'm not like the lions being in subpar and the dealings category doesn't shock me. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things, um, first off, so Minnesota got TJ Hawkinson next year's fourth rounder and then a conditional fourth rounder for the following year and Detroit got a second rounder next year and a third rounder in 2024 so I think part of it was the the Lions not wanting to have to pay Hawkinson Um, I know I think like next year would have been the last year of his rookie deal Um, Mm -hmm. so that was probably part of it and knowing that they're not close to contending right now they probably want to go ahead and try to get draft comp- pick compensation back for him. However, this was one of the ones that was super surprising to me. Like this kind of came out of left field. We had heard some rumblings about some of these other players that ended up getting moved. We hadn't heard anything about TJ Hawkinson being available, much less being actually being traded. So, you know, shout out to the Vikings for going ahead and making an aggressive move for this player like you said Irv Smith's out he provides a big middle of the field target with Thielen and Justin Jefferson on the outside it makes a lot of sense Dalvin Cook's still there um, at running back like that's a really good 
um, bunch of skill position players for Kirk Cousins. And, you know, the Vikings, they have only lost one game all season. They haven't necessarily been the most dominant team, but they're winning these games. And Hawkinson really helped them win that game against the Commanders last weekend. He, I think he had like six or seven catches. Um, so amazing production after like not much time with that offense. I'm, I'm sure he's going to continue to learn more and more of the playbook. And, you know, shout out to that, the front office and the coaching staff of the Vikings, because they have in McConnell's first year there as head coach, like he's really turned things around. So obviously I'm excited as a Vikings fan, but um, yeah, that was, that one was definitely surprising to me. Another one that I thought was very surprising that I just had kind of forgotten about Calvin Ridley. Uh, In case you weren't already aware, he left uh, the Falcons last season for mental health, for what he termed to be mental health um, issues, was not going to return to the team. While he was away from the team, he bet on the Falcons uh, to actually beat the Jaguars <laughs> and got caught, was suspended all of this year for it. And so the Falcons ended up actually trading him at the deadline to the Jaguars, which is very ironic, um, for a fourth and a fifth rounder, both conditional picks. So this is just a very interesting one to me. Number one, because you're trading a suspended player. The Jaguars, it's, I mean, it's a low risk, high reward move um, for a player that is very talented when healthy, both physically and mentally. Um, For the Falcons, it's like a, that bridge had been burned, I'm sure, already. So they were just going to, they just wanted him to get out of town. And so a fourth and a fifth rounder, like that definitely, I mean, two years ago, that would have seemed absurd, but times changed quickly in the NFL. And, you know, the Falcons decided that now was the right time to make a move um, and go ahead and, and get him out of their, uh, I guess, out of the roster. So kind of a sad situation all around, but that's just the way, the way that it is. And the Falcons decided to move on. Yeah. I will say like when you said high, uh, low risk, high reward for the Jags, given that the reward is giving Trevor Lawrence a, uh, what we've seen to be a uh, dynamic receiver when he's playing. Like, I love that move for the Jags and frankly for the Falcons too. Uh, we didn't know, I mean, to be blunt about it, we didn't know what Calvin Ridley was ever going to be worth moving forward, at least for us. You know, uh, his value was de- like mad low. So I'll take the picks there. Like, at this point, yeah, just move forward, you know. Um, I'm also going to say, like, the Dolphins, man. Uh, Given that, like, essentially the breakdown of their trade where, like, the pick turned into Trey Lance, uh, from that they've turned that into Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and now um, Bradley Chubb. Not to mention they also pick up Jeff Wilson. Like... Dolphins making power moves. I like it. Like, look at them. Yeah, and Tua this year has been unbelievable when he's been playing. I mean, 
He's leading the league in in quarterback rating. Tyreek Hill is like by far the best receiver in the league. He has and showing yards in eight teams in the NFL. Yeah, like he's showing that he he was not a product of the Chiefs system and of Patrick Mahomes, and combining him with Waddle has been a dy- you know a dynamic combination. I believe. Hill was number one and Waddle's number five in terms of receiving yards in the NFL so far this season. Two receivers in the top five on the same team is not something you see very often. And the Dolphins are undefeated with Tua at quarterback and have lost every game when he wasn't at quarterback or didn't finish the game. So that just proves how well he's been doing. And they decided to go all in, trade for for Bradley Chubb and... Uh, immediately sign him to an extension. So that's just going to help uh, on the defensive end where offensively is where there have been, been the most fireworks this year. They're they're going for it. And you know what? Shout out to uh, Mike McDaniel, their head coach. He's been making, uh, making that hire look really, really good. And yeah, like you said, the Dolphins, they're going for it. And I'm all for it. All of a sudden, also that that division... The Patriots are last in that division right now with a 5-4 and four record. The Bills, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Patriots all looking like at you know varying levels like playoff contenders. Not something that you, you would have thought that we would have said before, you know, before the season or even, you know, especially like a year or two ago, that would have been unheard of. So that division ended up being the best in the league somehow this year. Yeah. I mean, power to them. I mean, especially the Jets, man. That's like the biggest surprises of the season. Uh, like them beating the Bills, crazy. Like shout, shout out to Robert Sala and that whole team. Like that is, that result really shocked me. Yeah. We also get some, uh, some running back movement since you mentioned the Bills uh, picking up Naheem Hines. I mean, given they wanted Christian McCaffrey, uh, but couldn't make that happen. Uh, Naheem Hines, like, he's no CMC, is he? But he does bring good things to that team. So, like, let's not front. Uh, gives him a good pass catching back uh, to pair with Josh Allen uh, as a sort of uh, change of pace. I I like that move. Uh we can't all get CMC, you know. Uh that certainly makes the 49ers look better. But yeah, let's uh we won't sleep on Naeem Hines going to the Bills. That's a nice pickup. Mhm. He basically did nothing in his first game for him, but he was very new to the team. I think he like had a punt return or something and didn't really play on offense, but I'm sure they're going to find ways to include him. They love players like that too, especially like guys who can uh, catch passes, who can, um, you know, run the ball out of the backfield. Kind of like, you know, they have Isaiah McKenzie there already. James Cook, they drafted in the second round, which is kind of now looking like, why did they do that if they're training for, for Hines, um, who's already on a pretty significant deal as far as running backs go. So that was an interesting move, but they're they're trying to load up. They're they're going for it and I'm all for it. Speaking of that uh Christian McCaffrey trade, how about in his first game or first full game with them, 
he does the trifecta of a passing, a rushing, and a receiving touchdown. Like, what a way to introduce yourself, right? <laughs> like, yeah. crazy. Um, and the 49ers are one of those teams, like, I know that they're like 4-4 four and four right now, but they are not a team that you want to face if you're an NFL defense or an NFL defensive coordinator. That is not a team that you want to try to scheme for because they have got playmakers all over the place. And even with a probably below average, like average to below average quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo, I mean, it's kind of the same situation with the Vikings. Like, Kirk Cousins is not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, but he's got all of these weapons around him. That's going to elevate his play just like it's going to elevate Jimmy G's play. So 49ers, I mean, they paid heavily for McCaffrey. He's already on that huge deal for running backs, a second, a third and a fourth round in next year's draft, and then a fifth rounder in the following year. So basically 49ers giving up those three picks in next year's draft they're going to draft in round one and then not again until round five unless they make other deals. But they thought McCaffrey was worth it. And we'll we'll see. I mean, obviously when he's healthy and um, utilized in the right system, like that's a dream fit in, in, uh, in San Francisco with Shanahan there. So we'll see if it ends up being worth it. It's def- he's definitely in the right situation to, to prove everybody um, or prove them right, I guess. But, yeah, that that one was an eye opener, and he has he's already shown that he's worth um, potentially worth the investment. Yeah, and I've got to say, like, I really respect that uh, we're seeing teams like the Forty ers like the Dolphins, uh, really just go all in. Like, instead of you know being passive about it, uh, sort of playing the safe route, they're saying no, we're we are invested. We think we can win this year or next, and. You know, we're putting our cards in. Uh, we're per- we're putting our cards on the table, uh, moving our chips to the center, and we're making moves to like go in with confidence. I like that, uh, as opposed to you know a lot of teams that are just like, nah, we don't think we can win in the next year. We're gonna trade all our assets and try again in ten. Like, what? No, like I love the competitive spirit in it. Um, and kind of going off of that. The the one other big trade that we haven't talked about yet was another team that's just going all in, and that's Baltimore trading for Roquan Smith. This is a guy that I think both of us really like um, at the linebacker position. We already heard rumblings before the season that he wanted to, to get traded because they weren't going to give him the big deal that he wanted, and nothing really came of it, but the Bears did end up trading him away to Baltimore, um, Chicago got a second rounder and a fifth rounder and AJ Klein in return. What do you make of that trade? I think it's great for both parties. Um, I was about to mention that as well. Uh, Ravens beef up their defense. <laughs> Keep it coming. Uh, I'm sure they'll pay him. Shoot. Uh, also, though, good for the Bears because, yeah, you weren't going to re sign Roquan Smith. You're not going anywhere this year. Use. Please use the second rounder on an offensive lineman, man. Protect Justin Fields. It's great that you trade for Chase Claypool. Give him an extra weapon. But goodness gracious, get him an offensive line. But anyway, the point here is that the Bears need to be looking at the future and the Ravens need to be looking at the present. And this trade shows me that both teams are doing just that. Yeah, I agreed for sure. And um, 
like you said, Claypool going to the Bears, trying to help out Fields. I mean, a second rounder, probably a bit high for my taste, uh, especially what we've seen from Claypool the past couple of years. He had a great season in 2019 in his rookie year. Hasn't really shown too, too much since then, um, albeit with poor quarterback play for the most part from the Steelers. Um, but you know what? Also, while we're talking about it, how about Justin Fields in the past couple weeks? Like, yeah. And how about the Bears for actually, hmm, I don't know, playing to their quarterback's strengths and their offensive line strengths? Oh, the offensive line isn't good at at protection. Oh, Justin Fields isn't great at being a pocket passer. He's mobile. Put like they're actually putting him in situations to succeed, getting him out um, from the pocket, pl- u- utilizing play action, actually utilizing Cole Komet in the red zone. Darnell Mooney um, has been more involved as well. And Justin Fields, like finally looking like the quarterback that we thought he might be because, and how many times do we have to say this? The coaching staff is molding the game plan based upon their best players. Really for the bears, it was all like this season was just about developing Justin Fields, get providing him with, uh, with talent, giving him a chance to be the guy there. And the first few weeks were, I, it seems like a while ago now, but like it was absolutely dreadful watching that, that offense. Like it was horrific to watch. If you're a fan of, um, decent ball. Yeah. If you're a fan of football, like it was, it was an abomination. Um, but I don't know if somebody said something or somebody finally, um, decided to put their pride aside and switch things up, but it's been very exciting to see. And, um, the lions are, are next up and I don't necessarily see them slowing Justin Fields down. So, um, maybe Claypool, he did play a little bit in that game. He had a couple of receptions. Maybe he'll, he'll come out and, um, be able to to do a little bit more against the lions in that game. But, you know, like you said, the bears, like they're making smart trades. I mean, Claypool for a second rounder, not ideal, but they did just get, they did the Rokon Smith trade too. So like they're still coming out on top in, in terms of picks and they're actually making good decisions with supporting their quarterback. So you got to give them credit. Definitely. And with the Claypool thing that could pay off. I mean, fields should be the best quarterback he's played with in a while. So like who knows how much of his uh, lackluster performance we can attribute to just like playing with subpar quarterbacks, you know, uh, I think it can work out. Uh, and given that they're getting a second round pick for Roquan, like you said, like, eh, we'll call it a, a net neutral there um, with with room to grow. So I like it. Uh, I think those were all of the trades that I had to uh, that I want to talk about. So, uh, yeah. So I think when we come back, we will go ahead and talk about our hot seat. This one's going to be a fun one for you. So stick around for that. All right, and it's that time of the episode to get into our hot seat. And I said it was going to be fun. Here's the thing. We kind of have multiple, but it's also like all wrapped up into one. So I guess we'll just kind of go back and forth and talk about the the bits and pieces of it. 
but I'll go ahead and address like the the big umbrella that they all fall under, and it's the Brooklyn Nets. All right, uh, Dave, what do you want? What do you want to mention first about this? Uh, I'll start with Kyrie Irving, and that's all we really need to say about that. Uh, just Google it. Just Google it, and moving on. Uh, how about they hired Jacques Vaughn? Good, you know, cool. We're, we're, that's not the problem. Uh, the problem is they got like Twitter cry bullied into doing so because they wanted to hire Ime Adoka to add to the character concerns, like debacle going on in that organization after they uh mutually parted ways with Steve Nash. Now, I will say, Steve Nash. My favorite player ever. Not the best coach. Uh, definitely the wrong personality for that group. Uh, I don't even think that's debatable. Um, but I'm just amused that they're like, okay, let's go from like bad coach, amazing person, to the, the polar opposite in Ime Adoka. Oh, wait, the people don't like that. Let's do Jacques Vaughn instead. Honestly, it's like, that was like the the final thing where they were like, okay, we can't actually do this. Otherwise, like we've already made so many bad decisions and like just been a laughing stock already. We can't, we can't now go ahead and do this higher too. Like at least, at least they didn't go through with it. So that's something. Um, how about Kevin Durant and as it was very well known before the start of the season, he went to the owner of the Brooklyn Nets and said, you know, either trade me or fire Steve Nash and uh, Sean Marks, the GM. Well, Nash has been fired, and yet we're still hearing trade rumblings for Kevin Durant and certain teams being interested. I don't know if we're ever going to not not like stop hearing these rumblings of the of a trade until it actually happens maybe it maybe it's best for the nets to trade them at this point like i don't see them going anywhere i mean honestly they trade for ben simmons and i mean who could have ever predicted this you know perhaps you boys on the mike and dave podcast but ben simmons is not doing well wow i mean He's dealing with an injury, uh, and when he's not dealing with an injury, he's not that good. Like, I- I'm sorry. Uh, he, like he, in uh, that recent game against the Mavs, he gets dropped off by Luca. Uh, he's getting beaten down low. Uh, just they brought him in for defense, and I mean, Kevin Durant this is a different player. Kevin Durant, uh, as of like a couple games ago had the worst plus minus in basketball because this plan isn't working. Like y'all bring in the guy with like the lowest rated work ethic. If you could quantify that uh, in basketball and think it's going to work in the media capital of the world or just outside of it, whatever it's Brooklyn I'm close enough. So that basically covers it in a nutshell. Um, at least Royce O'Neal is playing well. So that's yeah. so that's something good for him. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's uh, 
it's just it's shambolic um, over there in Brooklyn right now. And as bad as the Lakers are and all the stuff that's going on with them, somehow the Nets have been able to like steal more of the headlines with all of their shenanigans and nonsense. So that's crazy that the teams with arguably like four of the most talented basketball players in the world can't get out of their own way and are looking like they're not going to even make the playoffs this season. Either of them crazy. Yeah. It's like the Lakers aren't doing well, but I mean the nets, it's like the nets are just like reality television bad. It's like entertaining off the court. I'm like, Oh, look at that. <laughs> Let's see what they're up to on Twitter or whatever. You don't even need to watch the games. Shoot. But yeah, for all of those reasons, the Nets find themselves on the hot seat. Uh, poor performance and the drama. Now, on to something that has good performance and perhaps the drama as well. It's Dave's fun fact of the episode. All right. This week, we're heading back to the produce section of the grocery store. Wait, back? Isn't it known that I don't go there? <laughs> If you're a long-time listener to the show, that's back from, like, episode four or something. Like, Hey, this is a... I thought that you now buy, like, blueberries and, like, strawberries and stuff to go in your smoothies or whatever. And technically, you buy those in the produce section, so. That's fair. I had to call back to a to an old Mike and Dave reference. For sure. But I just want to tell the people. I'm healthy. Yeah. Well, Ish. I, I, Ish. okay. <laughs> I got my water, man. It's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm taking um, apart. So, carrots. That's it. That's a thought. No. Um, so, obviously, the carrots that are very like widely known and popular and eaten today are orange. Did you know that originally carrots were purple? And it was only after um, some people in the Netherlands in like the 16th, 17th century were doing some research and took some mutant strains of the carrot and decide and basically ended up making orange carrots, making the carrots orange, I should say, I should say, out of like nothing. Um, and Apparently, they taste like a lot sweeter and better than the purple ones, and that's that ended up just being the case. And so now we have orange carrots instead of purple. That's so random. I know. Like, you know what would make these better? Let's just play around with them for a little bit and see what we can do. I mean, purple carrots do look kind of weird. If you see, I was about to say appetizing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well. Maybe maybe we've found the solution to Mike's uh, lack of a desire of eating vegetables. It's because he hasn't been eating purple carrots, and now he will. So there you go. I think you can still buy them too. Some like there are different strains of them that you where you can buy the purple ones. But hey, uh, adding specific colors makes things better. Uh, you got. First of all, just yesterday I made stir fry with not just any pepper, but a red one, and not just any onion, but a green one. You got the purple carrots here, which were not in my stir fry, I was un unaware of them, but 
you know, moving forward, it's an option. Uh, unrelated, well, moderately unrelated. Do you remember, like, when we were wee ones, they made, like, butter that was, like, different color? They had, like, blue butter? That Was that on I have radar? not. Nope, not on my radar, but I believe you. Yeah, I, like, saw a commercial for it, and we went to went to Kroger, and I begged my mom to get this blue butter and uh, make corn on the cob so I could use it. I mean, I have it's, learned... It's not quite the same. Yeah, I have learned that um, the presentation of meals is important, and so having, you know, bright colors and, like, stuff like that does help with that. So I can see where you were going. Um, yeah. Small Michael and, like... Even like with the purple carrots, like if you're putting that in a stir fry, all of a sudden that's looking kind of interesting, you know? Right. So it, it could be an option. Yeah. You know, we're getting culinary here, you know. You, you think you're coming to the Mike and Dave podcast to learn about sports, but really we're just teaching you like how to prepare your next meal, you know, wow the in-laws or whatever, you know. Do as you do. Make your stir fry. Exactly. Th- this is what we provide every couple of weeks when we put out new episodes it's just it's what we do you know while you're marinating on that be sure you're marinating your chicken in a sauce covered you know (laughs) for at least 30 minutes before cooking we got you but all this talk of food is making me a tad hungry making me think that we should maybe uh wind down a little bit uh call this like bring this show to a close it's it's been fun it's been real you know but oh before we forget follow us on social media at mike and dave pod facebook twitter and instagram also like us on whatever listening platform you're using like subscribe five star review the whole yada yada shebang yep what mike said we will be back next week um as well because we skipped last week, so we'll go ahead and do back-to-back episodes this week and next, so you can look forward to that, as always. Um, and we appreciate you listening. This has been Mike. This has been Dave, and you've been listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. <laughs>